Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. On this week's episode of Circles Off, College football season may be over, but that doesn't mean that we can't apply some valuable insights from this year to next year. Bud Elliott, part of CBS Sports' official college football podcast, will join us today, talk everything college football related, how he bets it, some angles so that you can bet it, all that and more on this week's Circles Off. Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 85, presented by Pinnacle Sports here on the Hammer Betting Network. If you enjoy the content we put out every week, be sure to subscribe to the Circles Off channel. Lots of great stuff here, including 90 Degrees with Kevin Davis every single week as well. Rob Pizzola, Johnny from Betstamp, number 85. is 85, I got two. Number one, we got to go potentially the greatest tight end of all time. Antonio Gates. Oh, of course. Uh, Gates was, he, he's an, he's also like a fantasy hero for me. Gates for so many years, absolute well, legend. One of the best. And then second, um, I mean, right now, T Higgins still in the playoffs right now. You forgetting someone who played for the exact same team that wore 85? Well, that would be obviously the, the, the goal. Who changed his name? <laughs> Chad Ochocinco. I, I, I mentioned it last week. We teased it. But yeah, Ochocinco, obviously number, number 85. Um, the story behind that, I think, for those who don't know it is, he put Ocho Cinco on his jersey for some sort of like Spanish heritage, Spanish heritage game. And then they told him he couldn't wear that. So he had it as like a little tape and then they fined him for it. And they said, you can only wear a name on your jersey. That's whatever your name is. Then the guy went and <laughs> legally changed his name to Chad Ocho Cinco and then proceeded to wear Ocho Cinco on his jersey for the rest of his career. So I've have, uh, I have a direct lines of communication to Chad Johnson. Oh, weren't you going to play him in FIFA? Yes. So I uh, I held a Guinness World Record in FIFA <laughs> for about, I'd say, a week and a half, uh, which was the largest margin of victory against a an AI opponent. Computer opponent. So essentially what happened, I was working at the score back in the day, and I was the office champ in FIFA. I used to run the gauntlet every night. Like starting at five, I'd be at the office to like 7.30 beating told, down. He every- told his wife they were working him to the grave and then I, he used to go home and he used to be playing That's FIFA. exactly what happened, by the way. I'd get the message like dinner's almost ready. Dinner's going to be on the table. And I'd be like, oh, this job is killing me. Whatever. Meanwhile, I'm just like playing PlayStation. But, Extra five games. Oh, just, just destroying people. And um, there was a like a viral video went out of a guy setting this record. Right. So somebody at the score sent it to me and they're like, take a look at this. Like, do you think that you could beat this? I'm watching this guy play. I'm like, this this is like a beginner playing FIFA. He's this is I'll smoke this record. His record was like 140 to nothing. I went home, I practiced it one time, took me two hours for the entire practice. Got like 250 goals. That wasn't even like it was a shit run, too. Anyways, I set the record. It went viral at the time with the what score. What did you set it as? Uh the, my official First record was 286 to nothing. And the previous was 140? Yes. Oh, you smoked it. I played, smoked as, it. I played as Juventus against, against Cork City. I'll, I remember the teams. It really doesn't matter which team you play as, whichever five-star team, but I wanted to do it with my favorite team. Uh, and then what happened was 
uh, that went viral and I just started getting all these messages of people talking shit to me on Twitter. Like this Bulgarian kid like was like, I'm going to smoke this. You don't, you suck at FIFA. And one of the guys <laughs> talking trash was Chad Johnson literally messaging me like, bro, let's set up a game. I'll smoke you and this and that. So I, was, I tried to set up a game. I DM them. I'm like, let's get this. I work for a sports media company. He was playing for the Montreal Alouettes at the time. Like next time you guys are in town, you come in the studio, we'll set it up. He's like, I'm in, I'm in. Next time Montreal comes into town, like the game before, he like pulled his hamstring or something. And that was it. It never happened. But we still like ra- very rarely exchange a DM every now and then. But I love how these people are DMing Rob saying like, you're trash at FIFA, bro. This guy beat a computer at 289 and nothing. 286. Uh, yeah, well, I think it was 286. Who broke it? That, that Bulgarian kid broke it. But, <laughs> but then I broke it again. So the second record I held was 310. And then did you message him? Bro, you're trash at FIFA. No, I didn't because, so I was 310 and then some other person broke it uh, and got to like 317 and I had never gotten to 317 in any trial. And every single trial took me like two hours. I was just done. I'm like, yeah, it's not, I'm not it's, this is, you know, this, I, I watched that like 317 run. It was flawless. How like, many, how many misses? Zero. You do not miss. If so. the ball hits the post and goes out for a corner or a goalie makes a save, you might as well restart. You're like, done. You're, you're toast. It's about how quickly you can dispossess the, the opposing player. And the way it works is there's, out, there's like a guideline in terms of how you can mod the game. So it's the easiest goalkeepers. Everything's easiest setting. It's as easy as it gets. So you learn like the exact distance that you can shoot from that you're going to score every time. But like, You'll get into like the 70th minute of a game, which is taking you an hour and a half, by the way, of play. Because you're playing regular minutes. And you're scoring all the time, all the time, all the time. So, um, and then like the goalie will just make like some random save out of his ass. And you're just like, <laughs> I fucking wasted 90 minutes of my life. So right one now. save, it's over. You're cooked. You won't get, you won't get over like 310 with one save. I played, a, I played pretty close to a flawless game. Some of the stuff that cost me, like every now and then the AI just does something like... They, you know, they, they kick the ball, they pass the ball to start after a goal. And then the guy passes it back like a mile to his defender, which they never do. Like they always just pass it to the next closest person. But like one time he passed. So now I have to spend an extra two seconds chasing the, the defender down. And that, that like, that screwed me. But that does screw yeah, me. that was, that was a, a, a bad one. Um, also in the NFL, one of my favorite sound clips ever would be Michael Singletary. Vern. Vern wore 85. Vernon Davis. Which is, I think, both of one of our favorite sound clips. Oh, absolutely. Can't do it. Cannot play with him. <laughs> Cannot coach with him. Cannot win with him. All right. All right. Um, Pinnacle Sportsbook. The world's sharpest sportsbook. And they are now available in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the best bettors play. You must be 19 plus. Only available in Ontario. Please play responsibly. We cannot preach that enough. Not available to U.S. customers. And and actually, stop. Like sign up right now. You need the book. I'm telling you, it's so important. Like I see so many guys wasting money every single game. There was this tweet that went viral last week. Some big better at some sports book placed an eight hundred eighty thousand dollar wager to win eight hundred thousand on Ravens plus six and a half. They closed plus eight and a half. He he's the only guy in the world who got that shitty number. And then what happens? Fluke, obviously, the, the fumble six. 
Bengals win by seven. Guy lost $880,000 if he had just been using Pinnacle and he got a half point better at the time that he bet that thing. It was plus seven across the board. You can't be wasting money like that. And if it's $5 or $1, doesn't matter because eventually I want everyone here to get into a spot where you can risk a thousand bucks a game because you have that skill. And if you're having bad tendencies, risking a dollar or $5, then when you, when you do risk a thousand, you're gonna have those same bad tendencies. Enough, stop wasting money. Sign up today at Pinnacle Sportsbook and other sportsbook, but first Pinnacle, because for recreational, you're going to find the best number there in about half the games. So one thing I do on Twitter a lot is people often post their parlay screenshots whenever they place a bet. They want people to tail it, whatever. Nine times out of 10, when somebody posts these parlay screenshots, if you go put that exact parlay into Pinnacle at the exact same time, it almost always pays more. Almost always. Like it, it, it's, it's just... Obviously, I, I bet at Pinnacle for a long time. I'm happy to promote sports books that I'm, you know, that I use regularly and have used for a long time. Johnny's right. Like you're doing yourself a disservice. You just are. If you're in Ontario, you're not betting with Pinnacle. You are doing it wrong. Like, and, I've literally placed a bet on Pinnacle. I'm gonna just do some quick math here. Maybe two thousand two hundred days in a row. Okay, estimating. 2,201 days in a row. I placed a bet on Pinnacle. <laughs> and one. And no, one. No, that, I don't know about that, but 222, yeah, for sure. I, I was going to say, like, what were you doing during COVID? But you were actually, like, betting on chess and volleyball and ping pong and Everything. stuff. Every Everything. Every day. Every day. Yeah. Just going head to head with Matthew yeah. Trenhill. Yeah. Yes, you <laughs> yeah. were. Matthew Trenhill. Trend. Oh, man. On the, on the curling markets. Anyways, if you're not betting at Pinnacle, you're doing it wrong. And if you're not following our next guest, you're also doing it wrong. We now welcome in our guest on Circles Off this week. He's part of the CBS Sports official college football podcast. That's the Cover 3 podcast alongside Chip Patterson, Tom Fornelli, and Danny Cannell. He talks football and recruiting for 247 Sports. And he's the co-host of the Cast, which actually won the best college sports podcast award in 2021 i do do my research here on circles off <laughs> we welcome in bud elliott you can follow him on twitter at bud elliott three bud how's it going rob good to see you man good good to see you guys yes I, I haven't seen you in person in a long time uh we myself and bud uh met at a super bowl party in costa rica many many years ago that would have been the the worst super bowl ever right rams patriots that one yeah that rams one, patriots yeah that was a horrendous game, but um, we've we've remained in communication since. Uh, and um, Bud, in my opinion, is one of the foremost authorities on college football in North America, the world, I, I would say. Uh, so really wanted to get him on here. And I know college football is out of season now, but that doesn't mean we can't gain some valuable insights and learnings into your process and so on and so forth. So Bud, let's start here and let's get a bit of your personal background, how you got involved in the space, um, both the sports media industry and the betting side of things as well. Sure. So uh, I started uh, blogging about college football uh, back in like 2007, 2008, maybe, I guess. Uh, and got picked up by SB Nation uh, when I was still in law school and then, you know, practiced for a while as an attorney here in Florida. And then it just kind of slowly blew up more and more. And SB Nation was like, would you like to come on full time? And I, I was just blessed that I, I had a good LSAT day. So I didn't come out of law school with any debt. Right. And so it allowed me to kind of take a chance on that. Um, you know, and then I, I started working alongside Bill Connolly at SB Nation, who's done, you know, just a ton of awesome analytics, like kind of like the godfather of college football analytics, basically. 
in, in my opinion. And so we just pick Bill's brain on Gchat every day for like six or seven years. And it's like, I, Bill, this is applicable to gambling, dude. Like, like this definitely can factor into this. And I had always been, you know, interested, did the, you know, did the online poker thing, graduated college of seven. So, you know, right, right in that range, uh, you know, before black Monday. So mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of how I got into it. And you know, I, I felt like the recruiting side was a really important piece as well. Like understanding the inputs. So if you're betting NFL or NHL, understanding like which of these young guys might make an impact and, you know, who's a five-star, who's a five-star based on upside and who's a five-star, uh, who's a five-star maybe based on ability to contribute right away, you know, are, are important differentiations you need to be able to draw, I think, or at least, for, you know, as far, part of my process. So that's kind of how I started into it and just took off from there. So the movement from like, let's say poker into the sports betting space, talk me through that. Uh, like, you know, for some people, it's just natural. They're playing poker. It's a form of gambling. Okay, I'm going to start betting on sports. Um, was it a seamless process for you, or did it follow the same path of a lot of other poker players where there was, let's say, a lot of uh, learnings to be had along the way? So there definitely some learnings. We, we got fortunate early on. Um, there were a couple sites out there that were not super on top of what they were doing, I felt like. And you could take some shots at it. I mean, you wouldn't be able to take it a long time. And I like not five dimes necessarily because you, you get a call from that guy. Uh, but there were some other sites like I mean, you could do stuff like correct score betting after the game had already started because the time zone was inputted incorrectly by somebody with a million bucks and a laptop in Costa Rica. Right? It was right. like but back in the day, some of those operations were not uh, like your ROI on, on betting correct score when there's only 10 minutes left in the soccer games. It's pretty high. Uh, if they leave those props up. So, you know, I was able to build a bankroll early on with the poker and that, honestly, uh, and then just a lot of expensive mistakes on the way. First, like four sports bets I replaced went 4-0, and of course. Uh, that's you know, just easy peasy. And right. then, that's the story. That's the story. That's how get, yeah, that's yeah. How they get you. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's uh, it was definitely a, a, a learning experience, figuring out you, you don't necessarily have an edge in, in all the markets, you know, depending on your approach. And, um felt like I was much better in college football. We did bet baseball umpires back in the day, um, me and a couple of roommates. This had to be like 03 or 04. Like when you, when you could figure out who they were, that still I thought had an edge back then, but that's what, 15 years ago now, 20. So, so Bud, how did you um, how did you kind of get where you are today in terms of the betting? Like what are you betting on uh, in today's day? I know there's a lot of college football and that's definitely what you're known for, but are you betting anything else? And what are you betting for college football? So for, for college football, I that's the only sport I actually originate, right? I mean, if I if somebody I trust has something NFL or or baseball, I'll I'll certainly you know get down on some of that, and you know they'll probably ask me for some college football. Uh, but college football, I'm really you know size, totals, props, alts, really kind of just do the whole hog approach on it, and I, I spend a lot of time on each game every week. Uh, you know, I, I do want to give our listeners on Cover Three you know, good value. I think last year I was. Like 60%, which is hard to do, honestly, over volume if you're giving all your picks at the same time, like, you know, Thursday at lunch, right, for college football. I mean, I, that's not how I personally bet. I don't just wait and just fire all, all my picks at the same time, you know, e- each week. Um, but, no, I'm I'm doing basically everything I can in college football. Is is the origination more of, a, like, you know, from a quantitative perspective, or is it more watching the games? No, so I, I think it's actually a combination of both. Um, the The – the power rankings that are out there, like the publicly available ones, I think have gotten better and better over time. And 
if you're just betting you know, straight FPI, well, I think you're losing if you're doing that, but like, you know, let's say Conley SP plus or, or any of these other ones out there, you're probably not getting killed, but you're not profitable. I don't think at least not wildly profitable. If you're just blindly betting, you know, all the bill stuff. But I think if you take one of those as a baseline or make your own, right. Which obviously when I started, I couldn't do. And then you make manual adjustments to it. That does take quite a bit of time, but I think it gives you a different edge against the market potentially uh, because you're not quite like, I find that some of the stuff I'm on, not everybody else is on, right? And that that comes from a combination of quantitative and then also watching the games, understanding you know, which of these backup players who now are in play because of injuries might be good or might really need a little more little more seasoning in college. That that's that's my approach on that. So I mean, I mean, just trying to to unpack it all. But you know, let's say a starting quarterback goes down in a college football game. I think you're going to get a very wide um, distribution of opinions on what that downgrade is worth, for example. So in your situation, being on top of the pulse of college football, and listen, for those that don't know Bud, like he literally lives and breathes college football for the duration of the season, off season, if you follow him on Twitter, um, very, very dedicated. Would you say that that's one of the inherent advantages that you think you have is the ability to process these changes within teams may be potentially better than someone else in the market. Definitely. Yeah. If you're, if you're just somebody who's modeling and and maybe you're doing multiple sports, you may not have quite as good of a feel. Generically, you can probably arrive at something close, right? So I don't want to claim I have edges that nobody else has, but I I do think just the knowledge of, of a lot of the backups, how good they are or, you know, how how poor they are uh, matters a whole lot, right? You can know what happens if Caleb Williams goes down, but who's the backup? How good is he? That that type of stuff, right? You know, McCall with Coastal, the, the backup for them really doesn't throw the ball well at all. So, you know, Grayson is a pretty big drop off within that system. It's also going to affect the total more because they're probably going to drop their pace even more, right? So understanding little things like that, hey, this backup not only is a downgrade in talent, but also in style. So he's more of a runner or they're going to have to chuck the ball around here. That's going to impact your total as well. So, yeah, I, Rob, I think that's really like I, I try to start quantitative and I feel like I'm decent at taking the qualitative and being able to put a number on understood so, question for you bud here because this is something that's super interesting a lot of people in the space always there's a misconception i think that if you watch the games and you just try to handicap by watching the games and you you can't really find an edge and for the most part for the average like recreational guy who's just a fantasy football player in nfl you're not really going to find an edge by you know having a better knowledge of the players but in college specifically it's one area where I've found college basketball, college football. The more you know, like you mentioned, about the injuries and stuff like that, the more you can actually like, really take advantage of it because the, the numbers are so much less efficient than the NFL. The players are so much less known. question I had for you is, do you think there's an edge, more specifically live betting in college football, given that you might be able to see a guy who went down at the half or something like that and then have pretty much zero indication of what's going to happen in that game with a new QB coming in or with a new, even a running back and receiver in college could impact it a little more, but do you find edges in live betting at all? Uh, yes. Big time. M- m- most definitely. Yeah. I, I like my ROI in live, even against the increased use is better. Okay. It, it, I, I think you can really watch, watch college live and do pretty well. So if you're earning off it, we wouldn't want you to give out anything that's going to like bust your edge up or anything like that. But what, what could, uh, you know, the listeners maybe gain from in terms of college football live, like what are you looking for? 
I, I think usage and, and injury and, and those things go together, obviously. But if guys go down, if maybe if a dude was you know, didn't practice during the week and then all of a sudden he's playing, but he he looks poor. So like, I mean, they're they're setting these. There's so many games on a Saturday, right? They're setting these numbers based on the close and then adjusting from there. But within the first 20 minutes, if if he looks like crap, uh, then that number is still going to be based mostly on the close and then adjust based on what's happened in the game so far. Statistically, I don't think a lot of these these sites are, are moving this stuff based on you know how well this kid's running around in the first 20 minutes. Now, they're they're going to move to the market some, but I do think some of those are early stuff. If you know what you're looking for, you kind of go in with, with, with an attack plan, if you will. I, I think that's pretty useful. Do you have some sort of rating sheet? Like what I've always envisioned was if I were to, you know, try to beat college football live, which I, I don't right now, what I would look to do is like kind of have some sort of cheat sheet of like, these are the key players and these are the biggest discrepancies, even just at quarterback to start and be like, okay, starter, backup, these are the biggest discrepancies. In some cases, as people know, it's not like the NFL. So the, the, the starter might go down and the backup legit might be better than the starter and then start the rest of the way. It ha- happens every year, multiple multiple games. So is that something that you think would be valuable? Like that's what I've always envisioned. If I were to bet college, I'd, I'd do something like that. I don't know if it's worth your time to do it for all positions. I, I think for quarterbacks, it most likely is, depending on how many games you're watching, or, or at least you know for a couple leagues, if, if you're intently just watching those and live betting those, maybe you do know those teams a little bit better. That, that's where you can kind of – I think that's kind of a silly strategy to use to bet college football pregame because there's just – there's not enough opportunities. But in-game, there's you know opportunities to bet every play. So if you do happen to know a certain league or two really well, Maybe you could go a little more in depth on the player ratings. I would say for me, it's just quarterback and then just having knowledge in my notes of potential like cluster spots for injuries, right? Okay, they're already down to a lineman. The third one makes them get to a freshman who is not ready to play ball, that, that, that type of thing. Okay, hey, they have one guy who can really check this number one receiver. If he goes down, the potential drop-off is bigger because of who, who they're like. And knowing what the defense does, is it more of a zone concept team? Do they play boundary field? Are they actually going to travel that cornerback with the number one guy? Different teams play that different way. So that is the kind of stuff I don't think we have in college right now. Hey, this team always travels this corner against this number one guy. But if you watch, you're like, okay, they actually match him up quite a bit with this dude. That's sort of some of your stuff you can take a look for, which is not in, I think, like assists or or, or PFF, at least not to my knowledge. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good point. And that's one of the challenges I've always had with trying to model college football is that the data um, that you have access to is not at the same level of the NFL. The NFL is, college football is improving as well, don't get me wrong, but the NFL is at this point of sophistication now where you can find en- everything, right? Like, you know, every single coverage that was played. I mean, we have player movements in real time nowadays and right. so on and so forth. So um, that's a very interesting point of view. And the fact that the rest of the market doesn't have access to that data, I think would create an inherent advantage for someone who's able to just watch a game and pick that up with their eyes and say, I'm, I am able to capture this. And I know that there's somebody out there that's a quant that is running numbers, but they're definitely not accounting for this right now. I really do think you need to, uh, you have to start with some sort of quant base, right? I really don't think you can just bet this stuff qualitatively. I think it's more like you need to start quant. You need to have a, a, a model and then i think you can make some adjustments no but you have to understand what's in the model and what's not in the model you can't just all just watch this maybe there's some people who can i don't think i could do that right i want to start with my numbers and then make adjustments to that and then you got to remember to back out your adjustments that you made each week 
because if you're using you know X number of, of reduced points for for this guy, well, how many games have they played without him? How many games have they played with him? And then you got to add him back in when he comes back. Agreed. Yeah, the cluster injuries and stuff that you mentioned, but those it kind of exists in the NFL. The reason I'm like hung up on the live betting is because in the NFL, if a guy leaves the game, like hey, think of it this way. There's never been more than like nine NFL games on at the same time. And that's in like if there's a big pack one o'clock slate. Yep. Usually there's like seven, six, seven, and then it goes even even lower. College, you sometimes get like 30, 40. And I've seen scenarios where, you know, NFL, you'll get a notification for like mundane players who don't even make a difference that they're out. You'd be like, Julio Jones left the game like this. You know what I mean? Or like this guy went to the locker room. This guy's in the medical tent. It's It's readily available and it's factored into the lines. In college, like... There was a game this year where like Bo Nix got injured and it wasn't even really on, like it, it just didn't impact anything for like 15 minutes. And I was just like, oh, like they're playing a backup QB here. Like, what is this? What is this? Like, is this factored in the line? Is this factored in? And then I didn't even capitalize on it. And then by the time I did it, I had already adjusted. It's crazy. The the Sugar Bowl when, when Matt Corral went down against Baylor, right? I mean, if you're watching that, you have a screen open. This is This is kind of, you know, crude to say, but you have to be firing especially in a bowl game type situation where like this guy's got a draft future. If he's tweaked at all, he ain't coming back in the game. I would For assume. Sure, yeah. So I, you, you know that. Yeah. That's uh quarterbacks injuries in college. Don't spread quite like doing the NFL. No. And NFL is any player. It's not even a quarterback. Like literally yeah. get a notification. You, like any, Michael Carter's in the medical special tank. teams player. Like, you know, <laughs> you, questionable elbow to bursitis to questionable to return like yeah you, you get everything you're you're completely right about that um the way that the market reacts in real time i mean but i'm very interested in how you um like how you get the confidence to to formulate your opinion on player where this comes from right because there's a lot of people who will just watch games and they have an opinion on a specific player and they say, I'm watching this guy, this quarterback stinks, I'm going to bet against him, and then they just lose their money regularly over and over. Like, their opinion is not validated because that's not enough. Like, they're, they're not overcoming the, the VIG that a sportsbook sets or so on and so forth. Now, you have access to players, like you see you see teams practice in the offseason and stuff like that, where you're based in Florida, I'm sure you, you, you have access to all sorts of players but is it just your eye test watching these guys play? Are you reaching out to people that you know who can validate an opinion on a specific player? Because like, this is an inexact science, right? And you get to a point where you're at the level that you're at now where you're probably extremely confident and a quarterback gets injured. Okay, I, I think I know the value of this backup. How do you get to that point? What goes into that? Sure. So, I, Rob, I don't know that it's necessarily certainty on my behalf. It's just, are, is your opinion on a player better than all the quants who are, are moving in the market, right? Like, I don't need to be perfect. I just need to be a little bit better than everybody else in order to overcome the VIG. So one of the reasons I still cover recruiting, even though a lot of guys that do national college football don't, is like, I really care about the inputs, right? I, I want to see these guys from an early age, understanding, you know, body types, understanding, like, how twitchy is this guy? Because that's oftentimes the last chance we're going to be able to see a player before he hits the field in college, Right? There's no preseason games where all these backups get in. It's what did you see of this kid as a 17, 18 year old? Right? Like, how does he move? How, how does he project it? Okay. And, and 24 7 Sports has been the most accurate recruiting service out there for I think like seven years running now. So, you know, very proud to work, you know, to work with us. And they do a great job. But we also need to understand kind of like, is this guy a this rating based more on upside or is he more this rating based on some combination of floor 
and upside because all that impacts how ready is he to go into the game. And there's still some guesswork, right? The guy might, to me, my eyes might have been like, all right, is he ready to play this fall? No. Last Like the last time I saw him, which was probably in, I don't know, November, right? State championship game type stuff. And then he comes in and he has a, a bang up spring practice, does well. Coaches liked him. He comes in and balls out in the game. Like I've certainly been wrong about guys before in a game. One of the things I like to do is use data for like down to down type stuff and then click through the explosive plays. Like, cause that is stuff I feel like you can watch. You can watch 10 plays per game if you want just to figure out, okay, how are they hitting their explosives? The, the success rate stuff, I don't have time to watch 70 plays on each college game. Right. But I try to get through most of the explosive stuff each week. Right. Just you, you can you can find those and just go through them fast. Sometimes they're hitting explosives because a corner fell down. Other times they're hitting explosives because they're making high-level throws or, or they're they're really showing some physical dominance. And that, to me, is important to figure out where the explosives come from. The success rate stuff, I think it kind of generally tells the truth. Yeah, see, I, I mean, just on my end, I think the most daunting thing about betting college football is that there's so many teams, there's so many players. Um, and that for for someone who bases their opinions based off of numbers – you know, I, I produce numbers for college football. I compare them to Bill Connolly. I compare them to public models. I compare them to people who do well in college football that don't have public models. And there's no, there's not a lot of deviation in all these models. There's a, we're all like very similar on numbers. And it's always like, where can I possibly gain an edge? And then you and can, the openers get bets to those. Well, that's almost what I'm immediately. Right. It's yeah. very quick. Right. So it's like, uh, I don't know where I have an ed- edge here or not. And then the thought of having to drill down into these teams you know, we have Brad Powers on the Hammer Betting Network as one guy who's already betting win totals for next year and stuff like that, and he's on his pulse. And, and to me, that's just like, like I, I don't, I don't want to compete with this, right? So that, that's, I've always wondered about that, and that's why I feel like college football is, is a different breed in that it is one of the sports, just like college basketball as well, where you can just literally keep up with teams or players and, and conference and win. Well, think think about this. NFL, you rarely will ever have a team. Like, I'm back national championship this year. TCU, obviously they didn't win, but they made the national championship game. They were a chance of winning one game. And earlier in the year, they were like 200 and something to one to win. That never happens in the NFL. Yeah. And... I think yeah, I, I had them 28 to one for the Big 12. And it hedged it out because I was like, Kansas State is... After watching twelve games, like Kansas State is more physical than these guys. Like I, Kansas State should be oh, a, a losing that favorite. one. <laughs> yeah. Damn, that was that's yeah, a, that's I, a bad. Yeah, I had loss. to hedge out of it. Um, but like to me, I bet that because I knew that TCU recruited really good athletes. To me, it, they kind of looked like they had checked out on their coach a little bit the two prior years. Dykes is a good motivator. You know, he, we had seen his prior stops. Like guys seem to buy into what he's selling immediately. And I love both coordinator hires. Like guys I know in the American hated facing Joe Gillespie when he was at Tulsa, the D coordinator. Now, Georgia liked playing him apparently in the national title game, but uh, everybody else in the league seemed to not like facing that guy. And Garrett Riley is Lincoln Riley's little brother, right? And that whole Riley family coaches football pretty well. For those who don't follow college football, Lincoln Riley is the uh, head coach at USC now, kind of an offensive wizard. So, like, these guys, Texas doesn't feel right to me as that big of a favorite in the league. Oklahoma has a new coach and lost a ton to the portal. we should not have that much cost certainty at the top. Right. Where within this drop-down menu are we seeing this cost certainty not reflected, right? And like TCU is the one that has the upside. And also the scheduling quirks in college football matter a whole lot. The Big 12 has 10 teams, which is crazy anyway because 12 and 10 teams. But 
That means you play five road games and four home games or reverse, depending on the year. And TCU is one of these ball clubs. They play the five home, four road split. And when they play the four road split, they get Kansas as one of their road games, which traditionally means you're only playing about three true road games and one walkover. So, like, that's the kind of stuff. I don't know in the NFL if you get that that type of stuff. I don't really model the NFL. Yeah, def- well, definitely you, not. You do, but like, so with the NFL, you get the schedule stuff at the beginning of the year, but like it's it's as soon as that schedule goes out, everyone's already on top of that. Like the win totals. No, but they don't even move that much because you already play a consistent, like, so you already know eight, seven games from yes. your division, and then you already know that you're going to cross over. So roughly, like, it's not like you're like... um having a huge edge on the, on the schedule no, right. coming out. When the schedule comes out in college, some of those lower end teams, you're like, Oh, these guys are going to be favored in like nine games this year. And look at, look at the odds I'm getting on them. Like it's crazy. Even the win totals um, that you mentioned, Brad power starting early. I'm curious to see if bud started already on the win totals. Cause I know people have been, I've seen on Twitter, like phenomenal prices. Like, Oh, I got this team over like to get three over three wins. And now they're at like five and a half already. Like crazy. <laughs> I, I've not fired on any win totals yet. Um, there were some Texas A&M 80 to one and Florida state 100 to one at some very like us rec books that uh, might've told my friends, you should, you should th- those numbers should be like half of what they are uh, at, at, at least. So uh, yeah, if you find any more, I think it was a stool special on the FSU one. So uh, no, I, I'm not doing win totals yet. I, I, I do think that, I mean, first of all, you're tying up your money for, for a long time. Most of the books that I think you can get credit at are not, posting win totals at this point, right? Um, the other thing on this is the transfer portal, which is new, and I love it, right? Because good luck modeling that. Uh, and that that's really more more qualitative, which is, I mean, you can model it. I think you need to try, but it's also really pretty difficult. So we have two transfer portal windows in college football. We have the early one, which closes on Wednesday, and we also have the post-spring one, which there will be some more studs jump in the portal because they look around – and they see what their buddy's got in name, image, and likeness payments. And they're like, well, my, I'm not getting that. I'm going to go test my value on the open market. And then also occasionally some guys who lose their jobs, right, who maybe shouldn't and are good players. I mean, think about this. In college, I am I guess the NFL too, but Stetson Bennett wasn't the starter for Georgia to start to start last year. Cam Rising wasn't the starter for Utah. Max Duggan didn't start for, for TCU. They started uh, uh, Morris's son. And then also Hendon Hooker at Tennessee did not start. Like colleges routinely pick the wrong guy to start. Right. Yeah, and that, that's what I was saying. Sometimes the a guy will go down it's and an upgrade. Then the, the backup is way <laughs> right. better and then starts the rest of the season. And you have to know, and this also applies to what happens in the spring ball. And the staff says, Hey, we think you're going to be the starter. You're the backup. The backup's like, peace. I'm gone. Like I don't love betting win totals unless they're really, really off in, in January. Like I, I like, I, I if you fire them on in April or May, I, I get it, but there's a lot of uncertainty still to come. Fair enough. If you could give out something, I guess now that we're on, people are going to be listening to this this week. What guys are we looking for in the transfer portal that are going to make the biggest impact right now? So, all right, a couple guys to, to know: um, Tanner Mordecai, I think, going to Wisconsin is. We released our top twenty-five on Cover Three the other day. I had Wisconsin is just outside. I think Wisconsin is probably needs to be rated as a top twenty-five team. At this point, so Mordecai uh, formerly got, of, I guess, SMU was he on? Of SMU, right. So uh, Wisconsin, I'm confident they're going to play good defense. They have basically my entire life. They get Luke Fickle, the Cincinnati coach, to come over. He finally takes a job. He's been very picky about what job he took. Everybody kind of wanted him for quite a while. He took Cincinnati to the playoff last year. 
So I think that's an upgrading head coach. Defensively, I'm confident they'll play good defense because he was a great defensive coordinator for a long time, you know, Ohio State and whatnot. And they went and got Phil Longo from North Carolina, who is maybe not easy to work with because he just cares, cares about scoring points. But I think if you're a defensive guy as a head coach and you hire a guy as their offensive coordinator whose only job is to score points, he doesn't really care about what position he puts the defense in, then maybe the head coach regulates that a little bit but lets the guy cook. They also went and got Bryson Green from Oklahoma State. They got two good receivers from Cincinnati and a couple other kids as well. I, they've done a nice job in the portal. So I would definitely say uh, Wisconsin's a team that just in the last week I've kind of reconsidered my position on just with how many dudes they're adding. Fair enough. Any other players that haven't yet transferred that we should be keeping an eye on? I, I want to see where Spencer Sanders goes. Uh, the Oklahoma State quarterback, he's still in the portal. He hasn't announced the destination yet. I think he's a quality player, got banged up some this year. I don't know what's going on in Oklahoma State, or at least not confident enough to where I can say it on a podcast, but they've had like eight starters hit the portal already, which is not normal mm. uh, for, for a team that has been pretty good over Mike Gundy's tenure. He's one of them. It's a little weird to me that he's not found a new home yet, given that the portal closes tomorrow. He can still go in the spring window. I will note, sometimes guys hit the portal and they probably should have just waited to graduate, right? Because that that increases your chance of going somewhere because a lot of these schools won't take you if you don't have your degree if you've been in school for 10 semesters, right? And it, it's Again, college football is a weird thing to follow, right? The NFL doesn't really have this. It's like, oh, here's the most money. I'd like to play for your team. Yes. Cool. I just learned something new right now that I didn't know. I didn't know that either. I had no clue. Um, I'm very curious. I want to get your thoughts on um, whether your knowledge translates to being able to handicap the NFL draft. So the, I, I, I work closely with some people who live and breathe college football as well. And I have one end of the spectrum that tells me, Rob, I like, I can, you know, they're not correctly picking these mock drafts in the first round. Like they say that they can, but they've had a lot of success betting the NFL draft because of their knowledge of college football. And then I have guys on the other end of the spectrum that are like, no, I'm, I'm horrible in picking the NFL draft because I, you know, have my biases of this player should go higher. This player shouldn't be drafted here. I cannot possibly see an NFL take team taking this guy in the top 10 and so on and so forth. I'm curious whether or not you bet the NFL draft yourself. And if personally you find that your knowledge of college football translates to being able to predict success at the NFL draft level. I, I, I would say I bet it every single year and I'm generally profitable. Uh, like I'm not saying I'm, I'm murdering it every year, but it's, and it's, it's low limits, right. For the most part, unless you got a million outs, but um, yeah, I, I've been able to do fairly well in the NFL draft. I think the biggest thing is a, you may know what some of these quote unquote character concerns actually are. Right. The nebulous tweet from whatever guy comes out. This team is is sketchy on this guy because of character concerns. And maybe the character concern is, you know, this guy likes to fight or maybe the character concern is something much worse. Right. And so understanding like, wait, was this was this kid a dumbass when I saw him play seven on seven? Did he act like an idiot in, in, in high school at these camps? And some of these guys like, you're like yeah, that tracks. He's generally an idiot that just doesn't act like a, a guy you'd want to have and pay millions of dollars to. And sometimes you're like, that's, that's a little sketch, man. I'm not saying I know everything about these kids. I certainly don't, but at least on what you're able to observe, I think that helps. I, you know, I'll, I'll hit up some of our guys at CBS and say, Hey man, like on the early mock drafts, body type wise, this kid doesn't look to me 
like somebody who goes first round because a lot of these dudes who do the early mock drafts have not been able to see these guys in person. And we have like, in it, like if you follow recruiting, you've seen these dudes at kind of the last underwear Olympics they've done until the combine. Right. Yeah. So that, that kind of stuff I think is a bit of an edge. Um, if they still do like fastest man at the combine props, that's kind of stuff just cause we've seen these kids race before, you know, and their last verified 40 they ran is probably from the high school ranks. See, like, yeah. I, I personally think that this would be a big inherent advantage. And uh, by the way, I'm not accusing CBS of doing this in any way, but I have followed NFL mock draft. I, I live and breathe like NFL mock drafts. So, like, I'm already on PFF's tool myself doing like mock drafts for the Dallas Cowboys this year and whatever. And I know which players are in general ranges, but as someone who consumes tons of mock drafts, you typically get like your first breed where a bunch of people put things out and then everybody kind of uses that as the baseline to create their own mock draft going forwards and they shuffle things up here and there. And then you'll get a prominent guy like Daniel Jeremiah or whoever who said, you know, comes off the board with something else. Uh, you know, this guy puts someone in his top 10 and guess what? Now Jeremiah is very well respected. Everybody else is going and putting that player in their top 10. And what I find is that uh, as someone who's consumed this stuff for years, a lot of these mock drafts are really an imitation of someone else's work yeah. without any knowledge. So I figured that if you have some sort of knowledge of, of college and you're able to, exactly like you said, like this player doesn't have the body or the frame to be a first round pick. This quarterback doesn't have the arm strength to be a first round pick. I feel like that could be a huge advantage in being able to bet these. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, for instance, I, I like Clark Phillips, the, the Utah corner, right. But I was seeing him in like the top 15 of some of these mock drafts back in, in August. And, and I mean, to me, Clark Phillips is like a really, really good college player. And maybe he'll turn out to be Asante Samuel Jr. But there's a lot of guys built like Asante Samuel Jr. And there are very few who are actually as good as he is in the league. And that's, I mean, that's awesome for Asante, right? But guys like that, I'm like, okay, is this really a top 15 pick? What would he have to run? Just given my recollection of how big he is. Right. Did he run that well in high school? He ran well, but did he run? I mean, if you're that size, you probably need to be running what four three, mm -hmm. like le legitimately on 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 the laser there at the combine. So I I think it's can you differentiate a college body from a pro body, and that's not always easy, but sometimes it's fairly obvious. Like the, the mock drafts now are so much better than they were two months ago, even though we really haven't played what maybe three more weeks of football. Right. Well, and, that, and that's typically going to be the case as we get closer to the draft. There's going to be more information out there. But I can think of all sorts of applications of being knowledgeable in college that would help you in predicting the NFL draft. Like, like when Matt Rule was the coach of Carolina, Cliff Kingsbury, these guys come from college to the NFL. If you have any insight into what they were looking for at a college level and you know that- Jimmy Johnson with, with your Cowboys. Exactly. And, and they have impact. Because like, obviously it also depends on the team and how much the coach is going to be in that war room and have a say in who they're drafting. But little nuances like that, like that could just be in and of itself can be enough to gain an edge. And, you know, as an NFL fan, I, I see mock drafts every year. I'm a huge Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys fan. And I'll see certain people mock to the Cowboys. And I know that there's no chance they're taking that player because I've followed their specific coaches and their, their GM for, and the team for years. And I know what they look for. And I think at a college level, if you know these coaches as well, that, trend, that, that make the step up to the NFL, I think there's 
probably a monumental advantage in having knowledge of, of that coach and what their tendencies but are. But also just knowing the exact team and where they're picking because this is like you put out a mock draft two, like, uh, two months ago, like you said. You don't even know the final position. It's like Bears getting number one overall drastically decreases the chance of a QB going first overall. It probably is still likely, probably still likely to trade the pick or take right. one of the two QBs, but it's like, okay, if Houston had got that pick, pretty much a guarantee that they're taking one of those two QBs. And then even further to that, people rank it based on like their own ranking and not based on the teams. So a lot of guys are like, I talk to guys who are like, Oh, be John Robinson. Like sky. Yeah, he's great. But like, he shouldn't go before like 28th because a running back should never go at the top of the first round. then it's like, okay, well probably someone will take him. One of those like dust franchises will take him. Like we got to see now, now you look, you're like, okay, who has like seventh overall, eighth overall, ninth overall that has historically taken a chance on a running back and might actually take that, take them. Right. Whether it's a bad pick or not, you know what I'm saying, bud? No doubt. So like, like last year to kind of put a name to this, I, I was pretty heavy on Kyrie Elam. Yep. Right. I, I know he was dinged at some, sometimes at Florida, but as a recruit, this guy always wanted to go against the very best player in South Florida. And there's, like there's some fearlessness to that because that's where a lot of the best receivers come from as well as the top DBs. And if you get cooked, you end up on TikTok and Instagram. Right. So like there, there's a, some of these guys will just kind of duck reps. And my thought was like, all right, is Kyrie even really not going to go in the first round? Like he's long. His dad played in the NFL. It like the un- uncle played obviously for, uh, you know, for, for Notre Dame. He's got the bloodlines. He's a good athlete. Just based on how hard he practiced in these camps, you have to think that Florida's coaches would speak well of him to the NFL. Because all these, like, that's a part too. Is like, is this guy a dumbass internally? What are the coaches going to say? Right. Right. Yep. And you know, so that was one. I was like, okay, I that's a guy that I'd be shocked if he got out of the first round just based on that. Yeah. I mean, like, it's the knowledge like this that, uh, listen, I, I know a lot of people who beat the NFL draft. A c- couple people that are part of the Hammer Betting Network, Joey Kanish, Hitman, they have a lot of success betting the draft every year. And I, I think so much of the market, as dumb as it sounds, I used to consult for offshore sports books that would be almost the first people to put out lines sometimes on year on NFL draft. And I can re- vividly remember the day standing over the shoulder of someone who was putting out draft lines who just had a mock draft database open. And he was just like, yeah, yeah, here, you know, we'll put minus 120 on both sides, should be okay, see where... And like, I obviously small limits, but just having inherent advantage, like knowledge or understanding of players, coaches, what might happen, bloodlines, exactly like you mentioned, like stuff like that, that no offense to a, you know, a random beat writer from some spot, but like, they're not, they're putting five minutes of thought into putting this mock draft out there and someone is using right. that and taking that as knowledge. And I mean, you almost have to, like, if you can separate yourself from that, realize that that's kind of useless and you have this other stuff. I think that there's a pretty big edge to be had there. This year's going to be tough because I, I don't know what Bryce Young's medicals are. No, yeah, no right? one really knows. No right one now. does. And he's also, he's also small. I mean, not like tiny, but I, is he going to measure in six foot legit? I don't know. So who do you, who do you and, like as, uh, between those two QBs? Better just like between, not not who's gonna actually Stroud go and Bryce. Yeah, I I kind of like Stroud, man. Like he's always played really well for. I mean, I, both these guys are really really good prospects, and I, I think I would take all of them, maybe even including Levis, over anybody from last year's draft. 
You know, I, I, th- I thought the quarterback position took took a dip. Like the one year we had Fields, Lawrence, and obviously Lawrence hasn't thrown the ball very well. Uh, don't don't forget um, about Zach Wilson, who we had in that oh, draft as yes. well. Yeah, does Wait, not forget. Oh, I'm talking about fr- from the from like the elite eleven like quarterback camps. Right, right. right like yes. okay, these guys physically are throwing the ball on a level that is close to what the college counselors throw it when they come back. Like the, the college guys come back to be the counselor for the week. The next year, I was like. This feels like a like a regional event, not a national event. Now, good regional, but still, like, yeah, it, the level of player is not the same from every year, right? Not like not all five stars are created equal. Interesting. All right, I got to ask your opinion on two players here. All right, if you don't right, mind. Got? Okay, number one. So later round QB declared for the draft. Stanford QB Tanner McKee. Thoughts. It's a really hard eval because Stanford's roster has just declined so hard in recent years he was also a kid you know i what he took the lds mission i believe right so he's an older kid yeah um what yeah i'm trying to remember this was because he was what 2017 high school class all right so stanford really they very rarely take transfers they also since the advent of the transfer portal they've been killed by kids transferring out because their grad school doesn't play ball with their undergrad so Stanford will lose its best player because he can't get into grad school there. Whereas basically every other college in the country will play ball and be like, yeah, uh, yeah here, here's basket weaving. Yeah, right. Um, How to so, tie your shoes 101, you know? Right, exactly. Here, come come get your doctorate in this. Awesome. Um, Stanford doesn't do that. So I think their roster quality has declined. Additionally, Stanford's roster quality overall uh, since the early signing period, which is first year was 2018, um, the most vocal coach against that by far was David Shaw because he knew it hurt Stanford, in my opinion, because Stanford was not offering admission to these kids by the time they were signing early. So Stanford was like, hey, will you wait and sign in February, which some of the kids, because the Stanford education would, but many would not because they they want to just get it done and get it out get it out of the way. So I think it's important to remember, like he's not playing with the same quality of player that like Andrew Luck played with. And he does have some physical juice. Like the arm is a pretty big arm, and he's not a terrible athlete for his size. And it wouldn't shock me. I'm not projecting him to do well, but he does have some tools that are like there are some tools there. So would you take him mid round? I don't know, like fifth round, maybe. Fifth, so just fifth round flyer, and then probably never plays a game, but you never know. Or he gets in as a backup, like Brock Purdy, okay. and just you know, fair, fair enough. Sure. So I've, <laughs> I've watched. I, I lost a lot of money on Stanford this year, which is why, which is why I'm asking. I was, I was I was I'm against shocked. Stanford uh, off. You were against Stanford offer. Good, good. I'm glad to hear you made some cash. Took it from me directly. But <laughs> I I lost a lot of money betting Stanford this year. And every time I'd watch, I'm like, this guy is absolute. Like I can't I can't believe this. And then sure enough, I'm looking at mock drafts and I see him like back the third round. I'm like, no, no, no. Like <laughs> this guy's not getting drafted back the third round. If he does, like absolute garbage. The second guy I have to, to ask you about is. North Carolina receivers, a projected first-round pick pretty much by everyone. Obviously, I'm sure you know I'm talking about Josh Downs. All right, Lots, super is he going to be good or no? I, I don't know if I would take him first round. It would depend on what he runs. He's not the biggest guy. What do they list him at? Like 5'11", I would uh, guess. I got to take a look. I'm looking at just the mocks here. Every mock, I have like a, a, a site that pulls up a bunch of mocks. Every single mock has him in the first round. He's anywhere between like 18 overall and some mocks all the way up to like 31st. Oh, damn. Really? Okay. Cause I was looking here at, uh, 
Ryan Wilson, our, our latest CBS mock, does not have him in the first round. So he is listed at 5'10". Okay, yeah. So I want to make sure they weren't listening him at, at, at a six foot. Generally, my rule is on these guys that are, that are sub six foot, they're going to have to run really well. Downs catches the ball pretty well. That, that drop against Georgia Tech killed him. But generally catches the ball pretty well, competes for the ball well. He gets open because he's a good route runner. He does have like good short area quickness. I, he's a guy that likes to compete and and is a player that I think will probably do well in the NFL. So if he snuck late first round, it wouldn't shock me. But that's good. Like with all these dudes who are sub six, how do you score? Do you score because you're a red zone guy, you have catch radius, or do you score because you have deep speed like a Tyreek Hill, right? That's kind of what you need to figure out. What does he run at the combine? It's going to be really important. Well, when I look at a lot of the smaller guys, like if you're not a big, if you're not like a big freak receiver and you're not the talent of like a Devonta Smith, obviously Heisman winner, like guaranteed first rounder. What yeah. I'm looking at typically for college has been like, do they got, do these guys actually make good catches? Like, do they have good hands? And the reason being is like, that's the one difference between the NFL and college is like, if you're on the sidelines or back of the end zone, like, Sometimes you'll you'll they'll throw the ball. It's happened two weeks ago with um, one of the receivers. I think it was DeAndre Hopkins. They or yeah, one like one of the top receivers. He th- it was Devonte Adams. Sorry. Yep. Someone threw him a ball. He caught it, and then the the announcer's like, "Oh, I, I don't know if he got in there." And then it replayed, and you just see he catches it right in two feet toe tap. And then the announcer's like, well, I'm sorry for even doubting him. <laughs> like you just know when you see like Deandre Hopkins or you see like a Devonte Adams on the sidelines, not like the big, the biggest speed guys. They're not burnt. Like they still do, but they're not like Tyreek Hill level speed. But when it comes to that, those catches, like they just make them and they're inbounds. And when you see like another receiver, for example, even a guy who's good, but just a little bit worse, like Gabriel Davis, You'll see him on the sideline. He has no idea where like, he yeah. And then he'll be like, oh, he caught it. And then you'll look at it like, no, he didn't get the second foot in. Yeah. And when I watched Downs this year, it was like every time they threw it to him in like a tight situation, he just didn't know how to make those catches. And that was even with obviously only needing to put one foot in, in in college. And he just made too many of those mistakes, not even drops. But I'm like, listen, this guy's not like a barn burner. He's not the biggest guy. If he can't make those catches, like I don't know if he's going to do too well in the NFL. But again, he's projected to go point. back of the back of the first round, top of the second. So it's not like I'm making like a. It's it is a pretty bold call. He should, in theory, do well in the NFL, but I, I don't think he will. Is Zay Flowers in in uh, in, in those aggregated mocks? Let me uh, let me pull it the up. Boston College kid. Zay Flowers, yeah. Um, so Zay Flowers, they have him at a consensus 39th. So projected second round. He's, he's he listed catch, in some people's some mocks around, around 20. Um, like I see some mocks here have him at 20. Pro football focus has him at 25. And then there's a few that have him like in obviously in the second round. And a couple actually that have him in round three. But I, He was he, like the only guy on that Boston College team this year. I mean, they, they were like a really good example of cluster injuries on the offensive line. They lost four dudes to the draft last year. Their best returning offensive lineman blew his knee playing basketball. So then they were down all five, which is difficult. And then they lost four more during the season and had to pull over defensive linemen uh, to the offensive line, which is basically – and their quarterback, Jerkovic, got hurt. He's transferring to Pitt. That was kind of like the only dude they had. So like go, you know, he beats Louisville basically by himself. That's a guy I do think has some serious juice. It was pretty well known that he turned down a – 
Uh, I think they said like $800,000 NIL offer to stay at Boston College. Allegedly, of course, I don't know who the offer was from. Certainly somewhere south. I don't think a whole lot of teams north of BC are offering NIL money. But like that's a guy who's like, okay, context kind of matters. Teams are going to like what they see. How he still plays hard on like the worst BC team in quite a while. You know. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, good. I, I have one player I want to ask about who's already a pro. Yeah. Go. Who's already a pro. Just because it's been talked about about a million times. Kenny Pickett with the small hands. I can't even tell you how many times I've heard there's no chance Kenny Pickett will succeed in Pittsburgh in cold weather because his hands are way too small. Before we get into this, you know, I was looking at the mock drafts right now and I pulled up last mock, right now, last year's mock. Like a year out from that, it had Malik Willis projected as the number one, like well, literally he, a chance he, at the number one He threw one a QB couple and, bombs in one of like the, the, the workouts and they went viral on Twitter and people were going nuts. They're like, oh, Malik Willis. That was like only a year and a half ago. He was like projected top five. And then now it's just like, this guy's like already been written off yeah. left for dead. So you know, that's going to be in this draft, right? Who? Richardson in Florida. Mm, maybe. I mean, his, his arm is, is nuts. The numbers don't back it up. <laughs> there you go. But, but but it's actually so... But Josh Allen wasn't even good in, in college, and everyone's like, this is a bust. And then he had a shit first year, and now he's the best player in the league, or second best. And people think Daniel Jones is following the same career arc now <laughs> after one, one uh, playoff what? game. Yeah, I know. I don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, like, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, man. Like, I don't really see... Dan, like when, I, when I watch Josh Allen, I don't, I don't, when I watch Daniel Jones, I don't really see Josh Allen ability, but... We will see. All right. So, anyways, let's get your opinion. Are you on the the Daniel Jones is Josh Allen mobile? No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. But but, but, so here's the thing, right? You got you got Josh Allen, horrible rookie season. I, I I myself like this guy just doesn't have it. And then over time, you start to see him. You know, he improves his his downfield accuracy, and he can the arm strength is is crazy. And uh, I think a lot of the talk now with Daniel Jones was like, okay. Guy that was drafted highly. Now, granted, that might have been a reach by the Giants in that draft, but drafted highly, and he just hasn't had the coaching around him, right? I mean, look at who the the Giants head coaches have been. Finally, they bring in Brian Dayball, great offensive coordinator from the Bills, and this is where the connection happens, right? It's like, oh, Dayball did this stuff with Josh Allen. He's going to do it with with Danny Dimes, and I, I personally don't see it. But he wins a playoff game in Minnesota, looks great, and now all of a sudden the comparisons are starting to be drawn. All right, okay, yeah, I can tell that you don't you don't buy it. You don't you don't buy it. It's okay. I, maybe he'll be good. I just I don't know if he's like taking over games the way that. But uh, I feel like the Giants are going to offer him like a four or five year deal with a shit ton of guaranteed money, and it's going to be a big mistake. I'll eat my words if it happens. I have lots of bad takes that people can dig up over time. But uh, Danny Dimes, $25 million a year for five years, I don't think that's going to be a, a, a team-friendly deal. I don't. You want to hear a bad take? Someone in the office who can hear, overhear our recording, he's our resident draft expert. Oh, no. He just sent me a message and said, tell the guys Malik Willis will be a top 20 player in the next five years. Can he hear the episode right now? That's what he said, yeah. Didn't he get benched for Josh Dobbs? Out there. Yeah, he got benched he for did. Josh he, Dobbs. He did get Josh Dobbs. And I it's saw a, a Titans like journal journal thing today on Twitter post saying like, which one of these would you want to start next season? And it included like Brady, Lamar Jackson, Derek Carr, uh, Tannehill, Willis, Josh Dobbs. And then like four of the comments were like, please not Malik Willis. Yeah. Honestly, I, I can say that like, 
it, there's always recency bias built in whenever you see like a bad quarterback play recently. Malik Willis might be the worst throwing quarterback I've ever seen in the NFL. I mean, he, they don't even trust him to throw. Like they, they literally just want him to drop back and hand the ball off to Derrick Henry. If he has double digit passing attempts in a game, I think the Titans, like they review it in, in the next week and be like, we got to dial this back. Like you this. think Fields would be good on the Titans? I love Justin Fields. On the Titans, though, specifically. I, I think a guy with that much athleticism, I, I love I love Justin Fields. I think he's like Jumbo Russell Wilson. Yeah. I mean, guys, Russell Wilson is I don't know what's going on now with this Russ Slander, yeah. but like Gino the fact that Geno Smith is now Seattle's all and I know there's one more one more extra game, right, this year, but Geno Smith already passed him in passing yards for a single season. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know about Russ. Um, I'll, I'll, well, so the other thing I, I hit last year NFL draft wise was basically under on all the quarterbacks. Yep. Like, I refuse to believe these guys are these are first round quarterbacks. Like what? What are we looking at, guys? I mean, have you ever seen these dudes in person? This is not. I, this is not really what they look like to me when I'm looking at a first round quarterback. I mean, well, you, you could say Bryce Young is street clothes. Over in the draft. Like, like, closer over, to the second round, yes. closer to, yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah, correct. Um, Willis physically kind of looks the part, just body type and, and arm strength, but that, that he frees offense just schemes everything for you, mm. right? I think there was a lot of one read stuff there, so it doesn't shock me that there's a little bit of struggle learning curve wise, but Maybe that's also an argument for not giving up on a guy if he really never learned it. Can you teach it to him? I don't know. They're, maybe, maybe not. I think the quarterbacks this year are better. Like Stroud would have been the best quarterback in last year's draft. Levis would have. Uh, Bryce would have. Physical talent-wise, Richardson probably would have too. So it's definitely better than it was last year. Uh, I do want to do my due diligence on asking you everything college football related that I possibly can. And I think um, in digging through some forums online and how people specifically bet college football, there is a notion out there that a lot of people just like to focus on one or two specific conferences. And they say, I watch all these games in this specific conference rather than all these teams and having the entire board available to me. I just like to keep things tight knit. I know these teams better than other people. Uh, Now, obviously everyone online that posts online they're, they're all winning betters, right? Like sure. 99.9% yeah. of people are winning betters out there. But this seems to be a very common strategy for people out there. Curious your thoughts on trying to, you know, have some sort of expertise in one speci- one or two specific conferences. So I, I think there is some merit to it in, in that you are probably going to have more insight into those teams than somebody who focuses on the whole country. But the, the obvious downside to me is that you have a very limited number of games you can actually bet. Like if I'm just watching, you know, the SEC would be a bad example because everybody watched it. If I'm just watching the Sun Belt, I only have seven games per week to bet. Right. Assuming no bye weeks. Okay. Like maybe you feel like you have some derivative edges there that people won't have. I kind of doubt that if you're not at least starting from a quant base. Right. Um, now for live betting, that could be worth it because I don't really know how many games you're able to watch live at one time. It, it's it's setup dependent. It's also like you need to be able to, to switch games in, in your setup in terms of betting and also in terms of viewing. If you wanted to just focus on like your your pregame live plan on one league and just watch those games, 
that could maybe make some sense because you would intuitively know those players better, I guess. Um, but your volume is so reduced if that's your pregame strategy. Right. I, I think. And also on top of that, like what about the out-of-conference games, right? Like if you're right. focused on the yeah. Sun Belt and they play a team out of con- in the Mountain West or whatever, you have no idea what that other team is. Like you might have this preconceived notion that, okay, maybe the team I'm watching all the time is overrated or underrated, but you have no- nothing about the other team. Right. It's really not a great strategy. It is a decent strategy if you want to avoid losing lots of money, right? Because you're not just firing at stuff you don't have edges on. It, it, if you're not a good player, it would uh, it could help you not lose as much. That's true. I'm not really sure it's a winning strategy. Well, I, I think for, for pro bettors, one of the appeals of college sports is the number of games, period. Yeah. And listen, maybe you can't, you don't get the same liquidity on a college basketball game or, um, even a smaller college football game, although limits are, are fairly high on them, you know, close to post, but the number of games is what draws me to it. Like, you know, a lot of people say, how can you bet the NFL every week? You know, you're getting down three to five bets a week, five to seven bets a week. I get that down and, you know, for, for one of the slates of college football games and more, and I completely get that. So to me, it would be like limiting yourself to, you know, a 12th, a 20th of college football is just, you're just doing yourself a disservice at that point, I would say. Yeah, I mean, of course. But yeah. the, the variety there on college football, it's, it's not even about like, oh, there's more things to choose from. It's just simple, like think of it logically, everyone who's betting, the more games that someone else has to price, the, the less efficient than it's going to be. If you have, that's why the Super Bowl in theory is the, Whatever people argue this, but Super Bowl, World Cup final, whatever. Yeah, like those are going to be more efficient because, like, you only have they they have so many guys working on those lines. World Cup, for example, there's only one game on. Usually, there's two games on at a time max, but there's typically one game on. Like, they they got their best guys focusing on that. It's getting the best handle. Obviously, that's going to be the most efficient. So when you look at college basketball, there's literally a Saturday last Saturday with like 150 games. What do you? Of course, it's not. They're going to be mistakes and edges there when you're looking at nfl like yeah you're betting for fun if you're just recreational because like especially sunday night monday night thursday night football like live and stuff like that like they're trading it legit you're not going to win that much but to, to bud's point from like earlier as well now look at all the early market movement too in the nfl especially it's not the same as it was even two years ago where you could wait till wednesday and you had an edge now the openers come out and like they're beat up. 90% of them are beat into place immediately. It's it's almost like, because there's all this focus, I think regulated sports betting did a lot of this, right? Yeah. Like all this focus on the markets now, but it's basically a race to to get those early numbers and everyone's in tune to them. And I, I don't blame people for it, but I think with college football, at least when you have that many games, um, you're able to get down a little bit more on openers in the sense that, okay, you can attack from a different perspective. Maybe you go to the bottom of the rotation number order instead of the top and work that way or whatever. But it totals just... first. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, like, so in, in our space of college football, it always used to be uh, BOL would drop them first mm-hmm. at fairly low limits. I think you could get like, was it a, a thousand or 2000 on a side and 500 on, on a total on Sunday and you get the 60 second rebet, which is I think for most pros, certainly not enough to give away their, their, their position. Right. Uh, but I think a lot of people started following that. And then two years ago, two or three now, uh, Circa became the first one to drop their college openers. And they actually dropped, I think, size and totals on everything. So With they would take a... Limits too. High, yeah, high limits. Yeah, 
you, you could get out like, like I think it was like five dimes on sides, if I recall. I, I, I'm sure Benson will correct me on Twitter if I'm wrong on that, but it, decent stuff. So if you got a buddy in Vegas, you, you can, you know, or a couple of accounts, you can, you can get down there. And then this year, they actually got preempted a little bit on the bigger games by DraftKings and FanDuel dropping like the top 25 matchups way early, like 9 a.m. At, at sometimes. So like five, six hours in advance, lower limits, obviously, than what Circus wanted to take, unless you have a real, you know, kind of account at DraftKings that your buddy just loses a lot in. Um, but the, the market definitely changes based on right. who's dropping these openers. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, for sure. I you mean, know, so it, it definitely has changed quite a bit. And the the Circa openers, I found, were sharper than what BOL was thrown out. Circa takes a ago. pop now. Bet Online was never taking that much. And then I will say, um, you know, not to mix and match, Bet Online is obviously you know unregulated offshore. Circa being regulated only in Nevada right now right. is what the lines are talking about. But another thing I wanted to mention is that um, live betting being a big edge, as I as we kind of both alluded to. Highest live betting limits for college are on Pinnacle. It's presenting sponsor here. So um, sign up there. Like most places, live betting, you're not going to get a pop on college football. Pinnacle, though, especially, you know, when you're live, you, there's games where they will take live like 10K a click with rebet. So um, definitely sign up there if you haven't already. Obviously, we mentioned it. Sorry to cut you off, bud. No, I, I'm, I'm in the States, but obviously, uh, if, you know, if you can, that's, that's a great spot. I used to have Pinnacle account uh, back in the day before Black Monday. For yes. sure. Well, I mean, it's 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 literally worth it for uh, for guys like you, especially because you know if, if you're betting or like guy guy like Bud who's betting early, beating all the lines, like you're going to get limited at a lot of the the, the recreational uh, the recreational shop. books. Nothing wrong with that, obviously, but um, you know having Circa openers come out pretty much like 10x the limit price of uh, of bet online is massive for any college football originators and betters who want want to actually get a nice pop down. And then if you can use like a circa, a couple regula- a couple regulated uh, recreational books, and then a pinnacle. Like you, you should be able to get your fill down for college, uh, for college football, which is awesome. Yep, hundred percent, Bud. Uh, you've been very grateful with your time. We asked the same question to every single one of our guests that we have on here. If you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself, what advice would you give to your former self? So. Yeah, I, I saw this on there and I was like, I need to think about this. And I just got caught up with other other stuff. I I would have probably left Espionation before I did or, or earlier than I actually did. Um, you know, I really didn't have a lot of faith in the high level management running that operation, but I, I, re- I really valued working with the team that came up, you know, J- Jason Kirk and, and and Spencer and, you know, Holly and all, all those folks. So, uh, you know, career wise, probably should have left about a year or two earlier, um, just would have been further on down the line um you know there were certainly some edges that had i realized just how big they were probably would have would have hit harder back yes. in the day but i think that's that's the answer everybody everybody should give right i, I think so I, because I, I, think. i've lived through the same thing as you right um a couple episodes ago we had on uh, a guy named pisky who ran like a provincial lottery operation um in ontario here and made a killing doing so and i i i knew about those edges while these guys right. are making a killing, but I just never exploited it to the maximum. And I, I think when people have an edge, that's a pretty good piece of advice. Like it could go away tomorrow. Yeah. And it probably will go away tomorrow. I mean, so me, just... me and Bud were betting at one point NBA first to score stuff. Yeah. And that, that goes away after a couple months, right? I mean, so, I well, they figured out who, who was doing the tip off, right? Yes, exactly. 
Exactly. All right. So this has been uh, episode 85. You got Bud Elliott. Thank you so much for joining. Um, We will see everybody next week. Thank <laughs> you.